Kingdom Speakers. It's Friday and we're here with another episode. Today we're going to talk about small church mentality. Is it good? Is it bad? Well, you're going to have to listen and find out. Welcome to Kingdom Speak with Pastor Daniel McKillop. Last episode, we said we were, you know, right before we recorded, we said, hey, we need to talk about merch. Merch, merch. And what did we do? What what didn't we do? Yeah. So let's start out by saying, if you haven't heard, Kingdom Speak has merch. It's been out for a bit now. So if you haven't heard yet, it's, you know, probably because we haven't talked about it. (laughs) KingdomSpeak.ca slash merch check it out we got a lot of cool stuff on there uh most notably would be a coffee mug because if you don't drink coffee you're not a kingdom speaker let's be honest uh, <laughs> you could put tea in it but it's not the same it i don't know if you guys have tried that you have you oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. not the same it's not it's the not same. the same effect that's same. why when you drink tea, so yeah show us the mug you're drinking no, your no, tea out of today let's go there let's is lift it up there's not a camera on me, so <laughs> here give it to me then click here yeah yeah, yeah. Give, give it to i can me. put it in the shot yeah yeah. Turn the camera on. Why well, give a go. shot to a man that drinks yeah. tea out of a paper cup? Nice Kingdom Speak mug for, yeah. 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 Anyways. Yeah. Kingdom Speak. Don't does. be, what, what was that episode we did? Don't be. Well, we, we did be like Philip. Yes. Right? So don't be remember, like Randy. Remember the memes? Be yes. like. Yeah. Be like. Be like. <laughs> Philip is nice. Philip does this. Be like Philip. Be like Philip. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's Pastor McKillop. Get a shot of him. I, I'm that on. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at that. That's a this is it. mug. This is it. Don't be Randy. <laughs> you can get one Be of me. Hey, that is that is solid advice all the way around. Yep. <laughs> if you're not wearing Kingdom Speak socks right now, um, you need to be. So get on the website. Check it out. KingdomSpeak.ca slash merch. You can also sign up to be a Kingdom Speaker. Uh, we got a cool blog on there. A uh, place you can drop your Bible bombs for all of us to read and appreciate. Um, yeah. So that's it. We talked about merch. Let's tick that box off. Now, Review. what are people saying about Kingdom Speak as a podcast in general? Well, here's what they're saying. Uh, absolute blessing, five stars. You guys really and truly make things so clear and understanding. Very thankful I found this podcast. It's such a blessing. That's from Malia Eldridge on Apple Podcast, and she is in Ohio. Let's say Amen. I do her. Do we say Ohio or Ohio? I'm not sure. I'm not mm. sure what I'm supposed to say. Mm. Uh, one more. A God-given podcast here from Redlands, California. Oh, oh. Pastor Wilmoth and Bishop BJ Wilmoth. I love this podcast. It touches my heart. My favorite thus far is Mix It Up with Reverend Townley. The way it was presented to the podcast world shows a genuine passion and love for this truth. Amazing job with this podcast. Definitely my favorite listen on a daily basis. And that is from, here's a good one, Antonio Trout, 27, (laughs) on Apple Podcasts. So Les, have you ever said amen to a trout before? I wonder if he he liked our... uh, our gone fish, fishing yes, episode. Yes, how about that, Antonio <laughs> Trout? He didn't like it as much as Brother Townley's. Go, give him <laughs> his amen. Say amen to this trout. Good friends with Brother Bass. Oh, uh, stop. Stop. What? All right, get us back on the reels. What? Here we are. They're back. They're back on their. They've done one episode. By themselves. Yeah. As was said to me without any adults in the room. And they keep wanting to go back to that. Mm-hmm. But today we're not going there. Today we're going to California. California. We have a guest with us today. All the way from Red Bluff, California. So. Pastor Nathan Cox. Welcome. Is in the Zoom room. Welcome. Hello. 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 I might add that California has more kingdom speakers than does. any other does. state in our audience. And they've held that position for 
Yes. For, for a significant period of time. There's so. a few good people in California. There's yeah. a few good people out there. A couple of us. A couple of us. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Cox has been um, Evangelist Cox. He has been, um, he's, 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 a, he's a papa or a dad. I don't know what they call you. But oh, we can uh, go with dad. what's that? We go with dad. We'll go with dad. Okay. And uh, has a ministry that's blessed many around uh, the country. He's been in Canada. In fact, here's an interesting point. He was preaching a revival weekend for us when my son got the Holy Ghost. And that was, man, how many years back was that? That was, was that 2012 or 2013? Something like that. Probably. Yeah. Years ago. Your son was five. I'm 33. Yeah. That was some 14. Back. So, yeah. Yeah. Eight, eight or nine years ago. In reality of that story, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. If you've ever been a plaster rock, some kids will pray at the drop of the hat. Uh-huh. And I think I said four words after I gave my text and some kids started praying and they started praying with them and some other kids started praying. So I thought, well, this is easier than preaching. I'm going to go pray with kids. <laughs> and so I went over there and started praying and Jaron was praying and he got the Holy Ghost. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Y'all so my job brother, brother Cox has a special place in our hearts and we are thrilled that you're here today my friend hey i'm glad to be here awesome glad to be we not as as nice as y'all's video room but i did the best i could hey man you're looking good he's he's repping the rock church of the north state that's it i'm having to run starbucks right now because i haven't got my mug yet but i'll send you pictures when i get my mug we're gonna fix that uh what was it july that we preached together in Elbion at the Elbion Youth Camp, I believe it was in July. Yeah, it was the week of uh, 4th of July. Yeah. And uh, had a great time there with um, Pastor Brad Jeans and all of the sponsors of that great meeting. And it was awesome being uh, teamed together with you. I enjoyed it. One afternoon, you preached uh, a message, and after that, message i went to you and said man i'd really like for you to come on the podcast and talk about that and you were talking about as uh, brother derek has already introduced the dangers of small church mentality and um, i really feel like that's something that would resonate with with uh, our audience and those that follow along with us so i wanted to get you to come talk about that what 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 led you down that down that path? You know, it's really it was a combination of uh, being raised in a pastor's home, watching uh, you know two different places my dad pastored while I was a kid, and then evangelizing, being in congregations of various sides and various stages, and then pastoring now two years. It's just kind of a culmination of seeing how people uh, that have, and I've always made the statement. It's, it's interesting to me how so many times some that have been in church the longest can do the least. Uh, when in reality, the longer you're in church, uh, the more that should be produced. Yes. And uh, one day I was praying, uh, and I actually preach this at home before I preach anywhere else. And, and I feel like God just began to put some pieces together for me about the small church mentality. Is not, it's not as much about the numerical size of the congregation you intend as it is how you view the congregation you you are part of and the church you attend yes. and the kingdom of God. And so, you know, stuff just started coming together that I thought, man, there, there are consistent principles with everyone who's got in this frame of mind, or I say principles, uh, behaviors that seem to come out uh, from everyone that seems to view this, regardless of church size, as, as their own little kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. Yes. I, I can remember hearing you when you were preaching about it that day, and I can remember thinking, God's blessed us. We don't have um, a, a large church by some standards, but we definitely don't have a small church by those same standards. And I can remember right. thinking while you were preaching, those very things that you're talking about could be the Achilles heel of our congregation, just like they could be of a congregation that's in a storefront. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, Isaiah 9 and 6 and 9 and 7 is the prophecy, messianic prophecy, but 
it tells us that of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Yes. And so anything that's in his kingdom is supposed to continually be ever expanding. Now we know that's more ways than just numerically. It's, it's spiritually there's, but, but the point is there's, there's constant growth in some aspect or metric. Right. And when people stop growing, the kingdom will pass them up. And the dangerous small church mentality is you get focused on the wrong kingdom. You're not looking at the expansion of the kingdom of God. You're like the rich man who's building your own barn instead of building the kingdom. It's expansion of my kingdom. And the church becomes a place for me to step up above others rather than lift up Jesus so that the church can expand. And that can happen at any congregational size church, as I'm sure you've probably seen. Yes. I would venture to say that there's probably aspects of what you're talking about today that are even more dangerous when a congregation expands. As, it, as that congregation numerically increases, there are more positions, right? Um, what, it's pretty hard to be ambitious about a position when uh, there, there's you, the preacher, and, <laughs> and, and two folks that are sitting on the front pew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like the, the one man that went to preach at a home missions church and uh, he felt like God told him to preach against the spirit of adultery. And the only two people that were there were the pastor and his wife. This was his first time ever preaching. <laughs> and, my, and they asked him, said, what'd you do? He said, I preached it. He said, how'd it go? He said, not real good. <laughs> <laughs> you also got to kind of know your audience. <laughs> Hashtag read the room, read the room, read the room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like I thought, you know what? Maybe I was that was the pizza I had last night. <laughs> um, but you know, first of all, the perception is to overcome small church mentality. Number one, you got to not look at your church based on its numerical size. Good. You've got to look at it as its ability in the kingdom, um, and, and you got to you need to think about your church as this is a thriving church, this is a growing church, and don't if the church. Let's say you know we all want to baptize people. We all want people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, I've been pastoring two years. I'm praying to God. I'm pastoring everybody in the North state, saving them all from hell at some point. That's the goal. But if, if someone is sitting somewhere and maybe the baptismal waters haven't been stirred in a while or something hasn't happened, rather than pointing blame, let's look at ourselves say, what can I do to make the kingdom expand? Where's my individual focus? You got to start thinking of your church as a thriving, growing church, because if you don't, you won't have a spirit of excellence about what you do in the church. Mm. You know, the old mentality a lot of times I saw was we can cut corners. It's just the church. Yes. Right. No, it needs to be, it's the church. Yes. I don't care if it's five people, it's the church. We're going to do this first class. Um, and so the problem is, you know, reality, the Bible talks about second Kings six, 24 and 30 about Samaria being besieged and, uh, they were completely surrounded. They were in famine because they couldn't get in and come out. And the king's walking on his balcony and he looks down and this lady's crying out for help. And he says, what's the problem? And she said, well, me and her made an agreement. We're going to boil my son today and eat him. And then the next day, boil hers and eat her son. Mm-hmm. And we did that with mine. And now she won't give up her son. And the king, he, he can't even believe that we're at Samaria. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you get here? How do you go from this great city in its day at, at times that, that had its own walls, its own commerce to just in a few days of besiegement, a few days of attack, a few days of fear and oppression, however long it went to now we're eating each other. Right. Nobody's talking about advancing the kingdom except for the lepers that are outside viewing beyond the walls of the city that don't even have it all together. You know, I view that as that new convert that comes in. Their life's not all together yet, but they're just like, let's get out there and just let's do something. They're out, they worship no matter how their day went. They don't come in and fold their arms so everybody knows they're in a bad mood. Yes. They're ready to have a move with God. They may still be struggling with stuff. While other people just on the other side of the wall, in the safe zone, so to speak, in the building, discipled, been in church for years, are just eating each other alive. So is that would, would that be more what you're where, where the transition uh, takes place from, because you're talking about a thriving city, yeah, that, that really degenerates to this point. So there's a shift in the mentality of thriving to surviving, because now we are, we're under attack. 
Absolutely. It becomes, you know, I hate to borrow this phrase, but it becomes survival of the fittest. Yes. And it, and, and the spirit is I survive by destroying you. Yes. That's the mentality. And so I, I've got to elevate myself by eating you and destroying you. And so when you get the small church mentality and vision, you get focused, you start eating each other alive and you're not accomplishing anything but destruction. And it tends to be a cycle. Uh, siege mentality is when you begin to be under attack by an opposing force. Okay. But in the spiritual, you get attacked by a different view and your focus becomes on protecting and defending yourself against those you believe trying to change you too much. And what happens is you fall back into old habits, old thinking and old ways, and you become resistant to anyone that would try to move you out of that. And so you, the kingdom's not growing, the church and every and everything is just about how is this elevating me and I'll destroy and eat your child and I'll destroy and eat you. That's what they were doing. They weren't talking about how do we fix the siege? No, and so the mentality not. went from thrive to survive. Yes. And when you go to survive, you'll find yourself behaving in ways that are not normally in your character. You're eating your tomorrow to survive today. Yeah, absolutely. And we see this multiple times in Israel as in first Samuel 16, 7. So we see Eliab and David, right? The famous story. And Eliab is the tallest, the best, so to speak, physically. Samuel looks at him. Surely this is God's anointing in first Samuel 16. This is going to be God's man. And he's standing on the battlefield with a giant in his front yard, trying to destroy him, his way of life and his family. He's not doing anything about the giant. He's tolerating the giant. David shows up, sees a giant. And David's like, Hey, this is what God wanted us to do. This is no big deal. We took giants down in our history. When they came into Israel, let's go get this giant. And Eliab views David as a threat because already David had taken his anointing in his mind. He was the first one the prophet wanted to anoint. And David took his position. Eliab is focused on position. David's focused on the kingdom. Mm. And so David's trying to kill a giant and people who are under small minded thinking and small church mentality, they can't see beyond their selfish ambition and get passionate about God's kingdom because they're too busy trying to kill the people that are trying to do something. Because instead of viewing them as, Hey, this helps the whole church move forward by God using them. All they can think of is I should have had that position. Yeah. I'm not leading. So this can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Every, every, everybody wants to leave and nobody wants to follow. And really, at some point, they they cross the bridge into the mindset of, I'd rather lead a few than follow yeah. with many. Absolutely. And everything becomes a battle for position. That's small-minded thinking. It's a battle for position. Yes. When this mindset gets a hold of people, it's protect myself no matter what the cost. It's a battle for position. And, and Eliab is looking at David as... I should have got that anointing when in reality he needs to be asking himself, how come I'm not doing anything about the giant? Yeah. That's the obvious question. David is validated by going after the giant of why he got the anointing. There was some test. The statement was, I have already refused him. There was something about Eliab that he had talent probably more than David, but he didn't have the level of consecration. And when people get small church mentality, they want the responsibility but they don't have the consecration to sustain them if they had the responsibility. And too many people allow their ambitions to carry them far and their consecrations can sustain them. So that comes back. We've talked about that before mm -hmm. on the show about the Peter principle, right? Where you're, right. you're promoted above your ability to sustain right above your area the position. That's right. Right. Yeah. You don't have the expertise. Now I know you, we're using secular terminology here, but you, you, you don't have the commitment, the consecration to deliver mm -hmm. on the position that your ambition has, has, has afforded you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and the reality of that is God cares too much about his church to worry about hurting your feelings. Wow. Ask John the Baptist that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so you, you either have to, David had consecration before he had a calling. Mm. David knew how to survive by himself because in reality, higher calling is going to experience places of loneliness. When you have small church mentality, 
you cannot survive spiritual pressure that comes with increased responsibility because you become critical of everything. And when you become a David and you expand to see the kingdom, it's going to separate you from those that only think about building their kingdom. Mm. It's going to separate worshipers from non-worshipers. It's going to separate responders from non-responders, soul winners from spectators, because spiritual people see a giant and they look for ways to kill it, that the church may advance. Small church mentality people ignore the giant in their front yard, choosing to kill their brother. That's so good. And, and, and to reinforce the point that you started with is it's not about numbers, but because clearly David was in the minority, but he's the one that had the right mindset. The Absolutely. brethren were in the majority, but they had small thinking mindset mm-hmm. driven by ambition. David's by himself in isolation almost. And he's the one that's got the expanded interest of the kingdom at, at, at heart. And because of that, the throne of his kingdom, he's going to raise it up on the seat of David. There shall be no end. His kingdom never, in reality, through David, Christ came. And we're still talking about David's kingdom today, that Christ yeah, came. His, his throne is, is forever established. Yeah. Absolutely. And so because his vision was beyond the sheepfold, beyond the current giant, it was how does this become reality? Whether that was David or not, David's concern was just killing giants and making the kingdom grow. And there will always be, time will be the great separator between those who are about the kingdom and those who are about themselves. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's the truth, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time will be the great separator. And here's how the enemy works. Because when people get small church mentality, it can become contagious. And, and what happens is you start getting resistance against people you go to church with because they're all competition instead of on the same team. And so you have people coming in and they're irritated at this person because this one said, well, I should have been the one singing or I should have been the one doing this or I should have been the one doing that. And so now there's friction because the devil knows the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So he can't stop the church. So he tries to slow down people that are in the church Mm -hmm. and tries to weight it down. And so relationships among church people can become strained, which then makes services become strained. And then you'll come in and there's people in the building and you're wondering, why is the service tight? Well, that's because Eliab is chewing up David and this one's been chewing up one. And you're trying to, you know, and pastors are pushing and frustrated trying to preach revival. But they've got Eliabs and women from Samaria that are boiling each other and eating them alive because of who got this position or that. And it's like, you know what? I wonder how much could get done. If we got our desire away from us for a microphone and got our desire for the field. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. That microphone, you know, I'm at in red bluff people that have never been in church want that microphone. I was standing there one day with my hands up. We had a guest preacher with us and I was worshiping and I felt something jerk on my left hand. And I looked first time guest walked up, tried to take the mic out of my hand, wanted to share a word. (laughs) I was like, Welcome to pastoring. Praise God. How you doing? <laughs> so how'd that go? Uh, Did you hear from I God? Was a little, we, we had a few words privately right then in that moment, but we, we she didn't give a testimony publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it to me. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen this struggle, you know, as a young preacher, I, I, I fought with that. As a young preacher, I mean, now I'm still 33, but I'm even younger in my 20s. Uh, you know, I. I struggled with getting envious of other men in my age preaching. Yes. We're all susceptible to it at some point in our yes. life. Sure. Um, because Eliab felt like he could do a better job. Well, in reality, it's not about who could do a better job. It's about who is letting God mold their spirit and use them at that time. And, and sometimes, and I, and I have made this apology preaching to this generation that we have made our conference preachers rock stars. Yeah, for sure. Where our young preacher thinks that that is the peak of success in the ministry. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the peak of success in ministry is doing the work of God at hand that he's called you to do. That if you never preach a conference, but you're in obedience to the will of God, doing the will of God in ministry, you are at the peak of success. And I've ventured to say, as, as you and I both conversing on this and having preached a meeting together, so I'm saying it from that yeah. standpoint, that... I thank God for every opportunity that's been given, but the greatest impact that has had is in my pulpit right here. 
Absolutely. I may leave a conference and have made a difference in a few people. But the majority of that congregation is going to go away and they're going to remember the pizza that they ate and the coffee that they drank and the fellowship that they had and the water slides at the youth conference and the popcorn. And, oh, and by the way, I think, who was it that preached yeah, that who year? who preached that year? <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely. And the problem with small church mentality, if it gets upon young ministry, and, and I am pro-young ministry, so this is to encourage, not, I mean, I, I fought with this as, as a younger man. But as you sit around doing nothing, waiting for the opportunity, yeah. when in reality, you need to be active right now. Uh, you know, my, my dad wouldn't have thrown me up in the pulpit if I wasn't teaching Bible studies, setting up tables and chairs at the events. You know, there, there's a lot that I had to do. And if you get small church mentality and you're just waiting for a place to be in position or waiting for Samuel to come pour the oil on you and you never see lions and bears and step up to the plate when nobody's around to tell you good job. Uh, you'll have these guys sitting around waiting for an opportunity given to them by somebody else rather than going and making opportunities by just being about the father's business. A uh, couple of weeks back, I had the privilege of being with brother Booker and I heard him preach. Um, and he, and, and he, he, he related a story and he, he was talking about making yourself indispensable to the kingdom. And I, I believe I'm recounting this properly. It was uh, Bishop Kraft, I think Bishop Tommy Kraft, was speaking at, teaching a, a lesson to his young ministers and leaders. And he got there early and dropped different fragments of paper and stuff all over the, over the yard outside of the church, and then went and sat in the corner in a vehicle. And he watched all the guys come in that was coming in for the class, and not one of them stopped mm. and picked up anything. And so he went and picked up all the pieces of paper and went in and commenced to talk to them about really what ministry is all about. Wow. Hmm. I thought that was an amazing, an amazing story. Mm -hmm. that says a lot about your mindset towards ministry. What do you think it is? Well, it's, it's being a servant. It's taking ownership. I mean, this is my church. I want it to look good. Yeah. I'm going to pick up that piece of trash. Yeah. When the guest walks on this property, they're going to see a clean building. Yeah. I'm not going to wait and hope the cleaner sees it. Right. This is my church. This is, uh, and that, that ought to, when you get out of small church mentality and it becomes your church, you care about its success and you care about what happens. And that means no matter what goes on, you come in, you're going to worship no matter how your day was. You're going to pray in that prayer meeting until the fire falls and you're going to help that preacher preach. Why? It's my church. I want, I want people to get the Holy Ghost. I want yeah. God to touch. Yeah. Absolutely. Small church mentality is if it's not me up there, I don't do nothing tonight. Yeah. If I was up there, we'd be having a whole lot better church. Oh, man. Yeah. They'd have oh. me seeing that part. We yeah. wouldn't have even had preaching. Yeah, well, they, they oh, just man. they just come running to the altar. Yeah. Oh. And the problem is when you're doing that and you hadn't been praying, you go up and everybody's staring at you. You know, I'm telling you what, God can humble people better than anybody. <laughs> Brother. That's but, the truth. You know, I wrote some things down. Number one, anything that's alive naturally grows. I don't have to come to my son and say, grow. Yes. He's five. He's growing too fast. It's just natural. He's growing. Something inhibits growth. And that means there's, there's a, there's an ailment. There's an inhibitor to it. Yes. And the only way that something continue growing is you got to remove the inhibitor. Small church mentality. Uh, I wrote down a few, few, few signs of that is complacency. Mm -hmm. They're good with just having a decent service a couple of times a week and going home with the same old, same old, mm -hmm. no push for a move of God. It's a pretty good service. Same three people that shout every week shouted that we're going to get up the next day and do the same sin they've been doing. And then they're going to shout. We're going to say we're having revival. They get complacent, uh, just coming and filling their pew and letting the people do their job while I watch. Uh, small church mentality settles for okay rather than the supernatural. Mm. Praise the same people through each week and is okay with that with no prayer that God help us to do more in the kingdom. 
small church mentality, everyone fends for themselves and puts no effort growing of the whole of the church. Small church mentality will cause a congregation to come in with no expectation, no drive to push every service, every prayer meeting, every message to its max. And complacency can become the death of progress because we're comfortable with the way it's always been. And we get frustrated with anyone else that tries to push that past. And then the big one that I've touched on multiple times, like the lion in David is they're eating each other. They get petty. Yes. People argue over the stupidest things when they have this small, it's just us for my, my kingdom. They get petty. They're, they're fighting over, well, this person uh, made a snide remark or this person didn't shake my hand. I mean, literally those conversations happen and they get focused on self and they jockey for position. Small church mentality sees others being used as a threat to their position rather than another vessel of strength to help expand and further the kingdom of God. Mm. And we see that with Jesus and the 12. He continually fought with them jockeying for position. He He comes along one day and goes, why are you arguing? Well, we're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, Jesus dealing with his disciples has encouraged me in ministry probably more than anybody else. Because if God in the flesh still had people focusing on who gets to be the greatest, yes. What I'm not doing as bad as I think I am sometimes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) He comes up and you know there's you know you know he's God, so maybe he didn't. But to me, I want to be like, like I don't even know what to do with you guys anymore. Like I don't even know. Like, have you heard nothing about the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers. Like, none of that was about who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So he takes a kid, sets it on his lap, and says, "Hey, this is the greatest in my kingdom." Yes. Once you become like a little child, what's a little child? They're just innocent. They're open. Yeah. What can I do? They believe in it. He said, so the least is going to be the greatest. Yes. Well, that's different. You don't see a lot of people fighting to be the least. Right. That's the truth, man. Right. That's never. And let me be the smallest person in the room. Don't just let me be the least here. You, man, my God, could we have revival or what? If everybody was fighting to be the servant. Oh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. The character of David was, yes, I'm okay just being used wherever the kingdom needs help. Yes. Whether it benefits my name or not. Right. And if the kingdom needs help as a doorkeeper, the king will become a doorkeeper. Hey, who made the statement about That's, the present duty? I think it was Brother Joel Booker that talked about that. Yeah, he told us. The will story. of God is to do the present duty. The present duty. That's all you should yeah. aspire to do. Yeah. Yeah. But that is what you—that's what you see, Brother Cox, in in the life of David. That's why he would morph into a priest leading the ark back to Jerusalem, and gladly take off the regal robes of position, because mm-hmm. that is what the kingdom needed at that moment. Absolutely, I'll be a musician. If that's what they need, I'll be a giant slayer. If that's what they need, I'll I'll watch sheep. If that's what it needs, I'll be a worshiper. <laughs> I'll be a worshiper. If that's what it needs, yeah. But he married somebody whose view was on the wrong kingdom. Yes. And so, if I need to be a worship leader today, and dance and praise God and have move the Holy Ghost as we move the ark back to where it's supposed to be, then that's what I'll do. But someone with a small window and small church mentality says how glorious was the king today this is gonna this is gonna ruin your name david yep david's looking at her and paraphrasing obviously it's not about my name the kingdom needed a worshiper i'll be more vile than thus you know here's a dynamic about that story just to deviate quickly i believe she got that from her dad she was raised in a home where worship was all about the eyes of the people it was yes. never about before God. It was always about before the people, mm-hmm. which is why even when Saul, I mean, the garment's been torn from him. He's lost the kingdom. Samuel's walking out of his life, and he goes, oh, would you go worship with Help me one me more time yeah. before <laughs> the people? Yeah. And Michael and saw believe, that. I believe Saul got that from his daddy. Now, we could go into a crazy here, step off small church mentality and talk about what you're handing down. Yeah. Because when Saul went to go look for the camels and to find the pre or the, the, the camels, asses the, and donkeys, the asses whatever, yeah. And, yeah. 
when he went to find them, his dad said about going to the man of God, he said, but you don't have an offering to bring. And so the perception I get there, he's all about money anyway. This is just, sure, if you got to go see him, just, they just want. And I feel like there's even a perception coming from Saul's dad mm. that the things of God were not viewed in a positive light. Why How are you going to go to him? You ain't got nothing to give the man of God. Well, this ain't about, you know, well, here, this is about doing the things of God. Yes. Yes. And so then Saul goes into where worship is just only if people are watching. You don't read a lot of places where Saul really cared what God thought about it as much as he did what the people thought he about didn't. it. And that's why, and in my we, opinion, he ultimately not only lost the throne, but he died as though he had never been anointed. He had been anointed, but that's not how he died. He dies seeking counsel from witches. Yeah. The man who was head and shoulders, who hid amongst the stuff. What a transition. His mentality went from humility to my kingdom. So he re it really devoured, his thinking devoured even himself. It, it's something that that you consume you yourself. Own. Destroy yourself, you destroy those around you. And well, he was well look at it. He even, he even transitioned from throwing javelins at David to his own son. Absolutely, because that's small church mentality. Everybody is a threat to my position. The church is my kingdom. It's the platform to showcase my talent, my ability, and my name. And I will hurl javelin to anybody that might do it better than me because they might assert. Right. And so you're killing the person that God sent to help you deal with an evil spirit. Rather than rejoicing together, I've, I've, I've said this repeatedly. I think Brother Urson preaches a message about this. But what would have happened if Saul would have linked arm in arm with David when they came back and, and Goliath mm -hmm. was lying defeated on the ground and they sang, David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands, David's killed his tens of thousands. What if they would have just got together right then and said, thank God that there's a giant dead? And, and with God's numerical math of one can put a thousand, two can put ten, if you would have linked those two numbers together, that Israel could have completely dominated its opposition at that time. Yeah, and I would venture to, to say should have. Absolutely. Until we get to the places where you preach Friday night and you made a statement. So see, I'm over here. I'm over here with a coloring book with my notes. You're over there with encyclopedias. <laughs> and you made a statement. You said that you've read more. Boy, I, I hope I don't mess this up. You got some more stuff to preach. But you said you read more about what other people did with Saul's weapons than what Saul did with them. Yes. Because small church mentality never picks up the weapons to do the things of God. Yeah. It's just over here involved in everything that really has nothing to do with nothing because you're trying to preserve right. your kingdom. Right. You said that. I thought, God, why don't you give that to me first? <laughs> hey, you know what? We've got to give a shout out right here, though. That, that was part of a discussion that I was having with evangelist Jacob Phillips. So we got to give a shout out to him, too. He, Ooh, he, he was yeah. part of that. He was part of that deal. Do we have organ music? Because he likes organ music. Organ, have you yeah, ever yeah. talked to him and hit, see him hit, hit the organ on his iPhone? You get it? Yeah. All right. Here it comes. There you go, Brother Phillips. Come on. Hit that thing. Thank you for your input, Brother Phillips. Yeah. It, it blessed all of us. No, but that's so true. It's it's what, what Saul, his mindset, to, 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 to keep in line with what you're talking about today, his mindset was such that consumed him. That 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 scares me. Yeah, your mindset becomes you. Eddie. Say that again. Yeah. Me or him? No, you. Brother you know, he became petty. Mm -hmm. He yeah. became petty to where he's, as you mentioned before, your own son. His own son. This is how petty he became and small-minded. Mm. He's, he's destroying his own kingdom, trying to save his kingdom because of his pettiness. Small church mentality breeds pettiness. It's unbelievable. Where, where I'm not going if this person's involved, or I don't want to be there if they're there. Or you, you're not thinking about this mm. and the fact that, hey, did you not see the new converts that were there that needed someone else who has the mm. Holy Ghost to, yes. to work there? Do not see the need, but he became so petty preserving his kingdom that he was actually destroying his kingdom. Is Small it, church uh, mentality. Is it Hezekiah that when God healed him, 
that he brought in and, and showed them all of, of, of his house, all. And God said, now that's, that sent, sent the prophet to tell him, you're going to pay for this, but it's going to be in, your, in, in, in the eyes of your children and in the days of, of, of the next generation. And he rejoiced and said, oh, it's fine as long as it's good in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares what happens to them? Yeah. And the tragedy of that is his children became eunuchs. And what smote me one day reading that was your children, because of what you've done, because of your ignorance, pettiness, whatever we want to call it, yeah. your children will not be able to experience or reproduce what you've been able to produce. Wow. And man, he, he produced one of, one of Israel's most wicked kings. Yeah. In that, in that time frame. His sons became eunuchs. And so the, the reproduction of good kings, well, however you want to look at it, but the way I look at it in the church is I don't want my children to grow up not experiencing moves of the Holy Ghost and I'll be able to pray. And because I don't want them to get so focused on for daddy, it was all about the advancement of his name and not about the moving of the Holy Ghost. Wow. That'll kill the next generation when everybody's jockeying for who gets to sit on the platform by the bishop, who gets to be on the flyer. Who gets to be recognized rather than how do we make the kingdom advance? And this comes, we, 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 if we circle clear back around to what we opened up with, I think this is more prevalent mm. in larger numerical circles. So talk to me about that. Because, all right, let's 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 talk about it in the in the from the from the standpoint of conferences, um, speakers, who's sitting on the platform, okay, that that typically that home missionary is going to that meeting with pure intent. He's going there because he wants to hear from God. Mm -hmm. He's been working all year for this three-day meeting, and he needs God to pour into him. He is not there hoping that the host pastor or the sponsors of the event will ask him to take up the offering, ask him to sit on the platform, right? But the guy that's pastoring a few hundred people probably is sitting there going, boy, I sure hope they don't look over me. Because he's got some status. Because I'm somebody. Yeah, he's got the status. Oh, boy. So he, I'm, not, I'm not allowed. I'm not at the ministry level of experience yet where I can talk about that without getting shot. So I'm just going to nod. Oh, you're going to let me fly alone, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to say, you know, that was that was Brother McKillop that got on that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I am not naive enough to know that that God has has. Oh, let, let me say this: there are probably people that have asked me to come preach. Because of the church I pastor. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not sustainable forever. If you can't, that's, it, not, that's not why I got you coming to September. But is just, it, I was trying, I was, I was trying to poke the bear and see if that what was happening. <laughs> right, but but if 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 we could ever get back to the place where we're free, I've I've heard uh, brother brother John Paget does an incredible lesson on ambition. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to get him to come on the, the, the show and talk about it. But he really deals with that um, messianic complex where, where we really think it's about us and we are the Savior and, and it's about creating that uh, aura around us and our ministry and if it's not us, it's nothing. And hmm. so I think, again, coming back to what we're talking about today, that a lot of times those of us that are pastoring established churches that God is blessed with numerical growth, hopefully only superseded by the other metrics of growth, but numerical growth, I think we are the ones that have to be as aware of this as anybody. Yeah, because if, you know, from my perspective now as a pastor, at the end of the day, the buck's stopping at me. I, I can't I can't come to church 
and take days off. Like I, I, I'm not going to come. I, I don't have the luxury of being tired and not worshiping. Sure. Right. Like you, you gotta, you gotta be every service. You just gotta be at hundred. You gotta push it. You gotta move. Yeah. And what I have noticed is people with small church mentality and eating their own in, in that mindset of a lie and a lady that just devour one another is you'll find great inconsistencies. Meaning they will at times do the right thing. So at times they'll be willing to be a doorkeeper, but only when it benefits. Yeah. When, when the right when they, person's walking through the door. <laughs> absolutely. And so you see this when Jesus is walking past Bartimaeus and he cries out and they say, shut up. But then the Bible says Jesus stood still and called for him. And the same people, their attitude flips. Rise, be of good cheer. He calleth thee. Some people act different depending on whether or not somebody's watching. Yes. And so all of a sudden now, the same people said, shut up. You don't have time for you. Jesus stands still, bring him to me. Hey, friend, yeah. come on. Come yeah. over here and talk with Jesus. Look, we, I wasn't saying shut up with those guys. Seems how it's this is what Jesus is doing. I want to be a part. Yeah. See, look at me over here. Look, yeah. see, I'm, I was fine. I'll be a doorkeeper if if you're watching me and tell and, and see that. And it helps you think that I'm in a place that I can advance. And so there's inconsistency. They'll do it sometimes. It's like, is Saul among the prophets? Depends on what's going on. Well, that comes it, back to ambition, right? It's not absolutely. just what you do. It's why you do what you do. Absolutely. What is the motivation behind it? Because it, it, here's the deal. When someone gets increased responsibility, it will reveal true character at some point. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to sustain it if it's not sincere. They won't be able to sustain their attitude. They won't be able to sustain the reaction, the response to when troubles happen, because it's not about the right things. When it's not about the right things, you can't sustain right. it. Power does not corrupt people. It reveals people. I think that deserves one of the bomb buttons. Yeah, I'll give you That's one. That's the app. Yeah, give me one. He's going to give me one. He's been getting stingy with That's them. That's the things. first Bible bomb in two episodes right yeah. there. That's the first one. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. I'm trying to help you out. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that got me is, so we go back to Jesus. He's, he's headed to Calvary. All right. And he's in Mark chapter 10. And he's about, to, and he's telling him, I mean, you read all the way up to verse 35. I'm going to be delivered to death, taken by the hands of evil men. I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be mutilated, basically. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. I'm going through all this horrendous stuff. And he's trying to get across to them in the final moments because apparently they've been unsuccessful in the past. They're still not getting it. In fact, all the way until after he rose again, there were some things they didn't get. And it says, then he opened their scripture, their mind to understand the scriptures. Finally, I see that as spiritually smacked them on the head and said, this is what I've been trying to get you to understand for three years. But in Mark 10, he goes through all this about Calvary, sacrifice, suffering, pain, crucifixion. He takes a breath and he finishes. And James and John are back there waving their hand, the back of the 12. <laughs> hey, 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 I got a question. So, okay. What? Master, do for us whatever we desire. And, you know, <laughs> I, I picked this as you thinking, all right, they got it. They got it. They heard me talking about what ministry is really all about. They're ready to go. All right, James and John, what do you want? Hey, can you grant us that one of us can sit on the right hand and the left in the kingdom? <laughs> you know, I read that and I feel like surely Jesus wanted to be like, what is happening right now? Yep. Yep. And he looks at them and says, do you even know what you're asking? Can you even drink the cup that I just told you about that I'm baptized with? You want to sit at the right hand of the left. But can you endure what I'm about to endure? Before he goes to his throne, he's going through the cross. Yeah. The only way to a throne in God's kingdom is through a crucifixion. Oh, that's good. Yeah. The only way to get elevated in God's kingdom is there's going to be some pain and some blood and some wounds. And even times you feel like you've been buried. That's the only way. And so Jesus looks at him and says, can you even drink of this cup? And they mouth off, don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. I could do that. I could do that better than Peter can. You know, I'm paraphrasing. I could do it. And he looks at him and says, right hand to the left is not mine to give, but for those for whom it's prepared. And when I see that, it's those that can go through the cross, those that can go through all of this that comes with it, the suffering, the pain, the loneliness, the times of, man, am I accomplishing anything, but they're persevering for the kingdom. 
those are the ones that get the right hand to the left. So are you and saying just, with that, just thinking when you, when you were working through that right now, so it's not, because really, if it's not God's to give, whose is it to give? Who has the authority to give it? So it's really not about who it's given to. It sounds like who is qualified for it. Who drinks the cup? Right. Not everybody survives the cup. And there's a whole other message there. You could preach about surviving. Can you survive the cup? Right. Everybody wants to be in ministry. Many are called. Few are chosen. Because not everybody can drink the cup. What do you do when you're going through hell on earth, so to speak? You're in the garden and your closest friends leave you. Can you still say, not my will, but thine be done? Well, and is that not the moment, Brother Cox, where if you're not called for that, the cup will kill you? Absolutely. That's where ministry has slain it's thousands by people that are embracing a cup they're not called to drink. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, there's a that's a mouthful. Because if if you're not called to it, you know, I had somebody ask me this one time and, and this was the question. I, I don't even know why I'm on this podcast, let alone preaching anything. You know, I figure every time I preach out, it's gonna be my last one. But they asked me, they said, so you've been evangelizing busy for X amount of years. What is your secret to success? And I was uncomfortable with the question because sure. I, I don't know that you can just, I don't, first of all, what's success? Um, but then I just decided, are you called to be an evangelist? Mm -hmm. Because it has, in reality, calling will trump people that aren't very articulate. Obviously, praise God. Right. Um but it comes back to calling. And that is why some people can't survive in evangelist, pastoring, whatever it is. Because if you're not called to do it, you're well, not going to make it. It's a calling. If Moses would not have been called to lead the people of Israel, if he would have touched the mountain, the same thing would have happened to him if anybody else would have touched the mountain. Mm -hmm. You were forbidden to touch the mountain if you weren't called to climb the mountain. You're going to find out Absolutely. real quick. Right. <laughs> well, we see that in the priesthood. When they, would, when, when they would go and offer, the king went and offered. He wasn't his job to offer. He called to offer. And God got angry with that. Mm. And there were people that died because they tried to step into places. And they died because God dealt with them right. that were not in their call. Right. If you're trying to operate, and I guess the, the reality is small church mentality is never content in its calling. It always thinks there's a better calling that it should be. In. Uh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Small church mentality is never content in their current calling. They can never be content just doing what God has them doing right now. Ooh, I'm going to give. If Joseph had gotten oh, oh, hang on, that's a ball. Uh, he did it. I was. Uh, he's, you got he's, it. He's loosened up his look, thumb. Look at it. Yeah, I got it a took bomb. You 50, My 53 goodness, minutes, too. But you got it. <laughs> Man. Oh, I got you. 53 minutes. That was that, like an incognito way of saying hush. <laughs> when you're an hour in, we start bombing everything. <laughs> and I was thinking the other day, <laughs> every time you try to speak. But if Joseph had got into that, he'd have died in the prison. And so would his brothers. Yes. Because, but Joseph was content in his prison calling. Joseph, who has people bowing to him, was content in a prison, even though he wasn't in his dream that God had given him yet. And he made the prison so good that it was odd for someone to be sad in jail. The baker, the butler, their countenance was fallen, and that was unusual because he came up to him and said, why are you guys sad today? You know, the answer is, we're in a prison, joker. Why wouldn't we be sad? Right. But because Joseph was willing to do the best he could in a prison when nobody was bowing, he changed the environment of that prison where prisoners were happy about it. But small church mentality is never content with the current placement. And they'll just do nothing rather than make the best of where they're at. And I know you've already said this, but this is where it, 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 it it's very easy for those trapped in that to become critical of everybody else who has shaken free from those restraints and go, nah, they must be doing something. They got to be compromised. Nah, there's just no way you can have revival and, and, and believe this. Yeah. 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 You weren't there 
for the 10 years of battling when I, when someone was going through the garden and the cross, Yeah, you see the after cross experience and you think, Oh, well, they just have better connections to me. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, you weren't there in the garden when I was by myself and I got drug off by soldiers and my friends deserted me and I still did the will of God. You know, that, that's what the, what people don't see. They see, uh, they see the person when they've reached a place where they've accomplished something in the kingdom and they think, man, I just want to jump from here to there. And they're not content with any of the process. Boy, there's a whole discussion about the process. Anytime you see an anointed man, you better know. Mm -hmm. You better know. If you flip that guy over, there's a price tag on the back of that. And I'll make this last point, and if you, we can keep discussing, it's up to y'all. But I mean, my friend there, let me know we're too far in. Um, <laughs> but after James and John, the sons of Zebedee, did what they did, the ten heard it and began to fight with John. It says they got displeased with James and John, and so the pettiness started. They started eating James and John, and Jesus had to call unto them. Apparently, it got he's talking to them. They're all listening. After that statement where he deals with the cup, it says they got displeased. And the statement is Jesus had to call unto them. He had to calm them down because the pettiness was coming back. I mean, this is his final hours, and he's still dealing with pettiness. I'm getting encouraged just talking about it. He says, hey, this is what Gentiles do. This is what people outside the church do. They exercise lordship over one another. They jockey for position. They use each other for stepping stones. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever is great among you is the minister. And whosoever will be chief is his servant of all. For the Son of Man, and he puts himself there, God himself in the flesh came not to be ministered unto, but But to minister and to give his life a ransom. He's saying, how can you expect to get what I'm about to receive on the other side of the cross if you can't even do what I did to get there? The Gentiles operate that way, but it's not supposed to be that way in the church. It's not supposed to be viewed as a hierarchy. It's supposed to be viewed as what can I do to help the kingdom grow? If that's opening the door, I'll be the best door opener this church has ever seen. Absolutely. Wow. Good stuff. I, uh, I thought of this, Brother Cox, as you were wrapping up there. Galatians. 5 and 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All the law is fulfilled in that. Wow. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Wow. Is, yeah. is, is, is Paul not taking everything we've attempted to unpack and you've, you've, you've given us over this last few moments and encapsulating it in that simple fact, what would happen in the apostolic ranks if we, if we forsook that small church mentality and we just fell in love with each other and became fans of each other rather than biting and devouring each other. You think the kingdom might just move a little farther down the road a little quicker? You know, it's amazing. wonder how God gets anything done with us. Yes. I saw a picture one time and it was a a little joke. It was if Paul was writing a letter to the American church and it's like, dear American church, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In reality, I don't even know what to do with you guys. <laughs> but, but absolutely. I mean, that, that sums up all of it. Because So apparently, these were the same spirits that even Paul dealt with in those days. Some are of Apollos. Some are of this. I'm glad I wasn't the one that actually baptized you because you'd be talking about being saved in my name. Right. And they were using that as, oh, yeah, well, I came out of so-and-so's church. Right. Or that's where I, that's my home. That's my pastor. Well, and Paul's saying, in reality, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the kingdom. It's incredible. Wow. And so Jesus saw the multitudes. And I feel like when someone gets out of small church mentality in Matthew 9, 
small church mentality sees the multitudes and looks and looks at it as this is a platform for them to see how good I can do. Jesus saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion for they scattered. They were faint as sheep having no shepherd, no direction in life. And he looks back and says, you know what we really need? Out of all the things and operations in the church, we just need laborers. Mm. We just need people that don't care who's in charge of the labor force, but just cares about getting the wheat that's ready for harvesting. I think the biggest thing the kingdom needs more than any other platform or anything else is just laborers. Well, that was the one prayer request of the master. The only one. He didn't ask for it. Now, we know these are important. I was one. You're in ministry, preaching, pastoring. He didn't say we need another evangelist. We need another conference speaker. We need another whatever, another soloist. We just need people to go out and do the work of the kingdom. If we can get that accomplished, everything else will naturally take care of itself. That will shatter small church mentality. Boy, the work of God will certainly shatter that me perception. Absolutely.